0: Welcome into the 20th and Blake Podcast here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Drew Kreisman, And at this hour, it appears almost certain that the Major League Baseball season is going to be delayed, as has been reported by many sources, most of all, of course, Jeff Passan, who's been all over this thing in all of the right ways from the very beginning, the Owners came with what they called their, quote, best and final offer in order to try to bring an end to this lockout. That best and final offer, as publicly reported, was patently absurd in my mind, and that is why it took only a few minutes for it to later be reported. And here's the, the tweet so I get it exactly right from Jeff Passan, who reports the MLBPA players leaders agreed unanimously not to accept MLB's final proposal. And there will be no deal on a new collective bargaining agreement before MLB's 5 p.m. Eastern deadline sources tell ESPN. MLB has threatened to cancel its March 31st opening day without a new deal. And he phrased that absolutely purposefully, as I'm sure most of you are aware, but it is, again, worth always repeating. These deadlines are entirely invented. The owners just made them up. They basically said if we don't have a deal by Monday then we're canceling games and then they said okay well if we don't have a deal by Tuesday at five then we're we're canceling games like they're they're making it up as they go along they don't have to cancel anything they're choosing to cancel games if they even follow through on that threat but part of negotiating the collective bargaining agreement at any point is negotiating when the season starts and how many games are played so that's you know, it, it really, it is what it is. It's a threat, but it, it remains to be seen whether or not for sure they can follow through on it. It's possible that we could, you know, Hey, they could come back at the end of the week and say, Hey, we've actually, we do have a deal, but I will say this. It really doesn't seem likely, you know, because of, of the next part of it, of how far apart they are. Right. So let's get into some of the details here. Uh, Jeff Passon also tweeting out, uh, so MLB's, quote, best and final offer, right, was this. And and really, this first bullet point here is just a major sticking point, and it's so infuriating. Essentially, they have stood firm on this, that there be no changes to the CBT or what we would call the luxury tax. It's actually called the competitive balance tax, right, or essentially the Amount that your total team budget has to go over before you start getting taxed on it. The players want that to be higher because that means that they'll get paid more. If you look across the board, most major league teams or most major league teams don't go over that luxury tax threshold. And you'll see a ton of them that very clearly and very purposefully are stopping just short of it. And the end result of that is that players aren't getting paid as much, right? Now there's this back and forth about the whole concept of parity, right some of these things work together so i understand fans of say smaller market teams being like well we we want that luxury tax because that's sort of the punishment for being uber wealthy right but remember that the other big thing that's on the table here that's more or less been agreed to by both sides is the expansion of the postseason and so If you're going to expand the postseason, that's going to automatically mean more teams are in it, more teams are viable, more teams should be buying at the trade deadline, things like that. And so if that's the case, and then more teams are going to get uh, postseason revenue, right? And that's a lot of revenue comes for postseason games and all of the jerseys and and overpriced beer and tickets that you can sell during the postseason. And so there's still this back and forth between whether or not there should be 14, apparently what the owners want and 12, but that's still more, right? That's considerably more postseason teams. So that's going to be more revenue to go around. And that's why the players are saying, okay, that luxury tax should go up so that that way, you know, owners don't have this massive incentive to not spend more on, their roster when they can afford to so this is mostly only going to cost the richer teams in baseball and it's absolutely infuriating that the owners have from the beginning not budged on this a bit said that it has to stay exactly at where it is where the players have proposed moderate increases to each one of the thresholds to just take each one up by a matter of you know eight to ten million in one case at the very top end you know by about 30 million but it, and you can get into the percentages. But the, the fact of the matter is this the players have changed their offer on this several times, and the owners have stood 100% firm and said no. We're not going to change the luxury tax thresholds. And that makes no sense if you're going to change all of this other stuff. That's clearly just hoarding of wealth. That's just the people at the very top saying, no, we want to be able to keep that money and we don't want to have to spend it on our roster. Like that is that is very poor form, right? Right. Then we have this other big sticking point that's been a massive thing, and this really is the gigantic symbol of everything that's been wrong with this negotiation process from the beginning, is that the owners came back with a $5 million increase on this pre-arbitration bonus pool. So this is a thing that hasn't existed before, right? The idea, and and it's nice that the owners have agreed to do it at all, but they, they don't get a cookie for doing the bare minimum here everyone agrees that one of the biggest problems in baseball is that the most valuable players are the youngest players and they get totally screwed on this deal. Because if you, especially if you make your debut early guys like Ozzie Albies or Ronald Acuna, uh, there are arbitrary in my mind rules that keep your salary low because you're a young player the idea being you'll hit free agency and then you'll make your money but all of the data that we have and the money ball and everything that's been led by some of the more savvy teams in baseball have made it so that they realize it's not a good investment to spend a bunch of money on a guy in his even late 20s now it used to be you know once you get past 30 but anymore you know you're 28 29 any mid to small market team should not be spending any money on you. And so that's the situation that we're in. It's not a good place to be. But if we made this pool where across the board, the players who clearly have owned, uh, excuse me, earned it the most are now put into this pool. The players wanted that pool of money to be over a hundred million dollars worth of money, A, a, a big ask. But when you consider it's across every team in baseball and It still doesn't account for the gap and how much these young players are worth. These guys, like, think about, for example, if you're a Colorado Rockies fan, Trevor Story, his first and third year in baseball, he was arguably one of the most valuable players in all of baseball, but he was getting paid less than $10 million a year under this new system after year one because he'd been so good. He arguably would have been rookie of the year if he hadn't hurt himself. He was setting all these case records, for home runs, doing all of these incredible things, he would have gone into this pool, and several other players would, and they'd be able to get paid what they're worth, rather than having to just wait for the arbitration process, which really does not work well, especially for these guys who are star players at a young age. But the players have come all the way down to $80 on their ask for that pool. Remember, $80 million for the absolute best young players in the game for every team to split amongst themselves. And the owners have come all the way up to 30 million. That's how far apart they are on these thing the, the this thing right here. 30 million and 80 million. Like that's that's not even close. 30 a 30 million dollar pool for the best young players in the game to split among themselves is absolutely absurd and ridiculous it does sound like some of these other things have gotten closer on the minimum salary though even though you know it's a it's a smaller difference when you see that the owners are at 700k and the players are at 725k you're like oh well that's you know maybe the players could just cave on that but isn't it always isn't it always the case that the lower class if you will I'm saying that in, in in quotes you know the the people that have less are always the ones that just kind of have to give up less and that difference may seem smaller but it's more of a difference to people that have less right if that if that made any sense the way that I said it right so it is kind of a bummer that you know the earlier in these negotiation process there was more of a concept that we might take better care of the younger players it doesn't look like that's Gonna have, I mean, the younger, younger, like the minor league guys or the guys on the absolute minimums doesn't look like that's likely to happen. Unfortunately, uh, there, there needs to be. Honestly, I really wish the minor leaguers had a union of their own. Uh, it, they end up getting totally screwed on a lot of this stuff. And, it, and it's really, really too bad. Uh, but. I'm so happy that the players didn't cave here on this stuff. You know, when, it got, when the rules stuff, I think they're we're all going to get together on that stuff. I, I honestly don't think and I don't ever believe that there's been that big of a difference between the players and the owners and, like, how many postseason games. Like, play as many postseason games as you want or have as many as you like. The players are saying, just pay us for it. Like, think about you and your job. Anybody, if you were in your job and your boss says, hey, can you work an extra month of the year? And I know we all like to think that it's not work because it's fun, it's baseball, but it's work. Trust me, it's work. It's a lot. It's a lot of time, you know, whether it's just, we all know the the hard work that goes into it or being away from your families. There's all kinds of things that make it work. And quite frankly, they just deserve to be compensated for it. So if the owners are going to add this many extra postseason games, then the players get to come back and say, like, cool, great, sounds awesome, but you got to pay us for it. Same thing with things like the universal designated hitter. I think everybody wants that. I've seen the owners a couple of times try to come out and say like, use that as an example. I saw even John Heyman tweeting last night that the owners were saying that they have made, you know, some move, that they, they've they made a, a few moves toward the players, like coming over on the universal DHs. Like that's something you guys wanted in the first place. You know, that, that that's not a, a legitimate compromise in the, in the least bit because everybody wants that. They just want to make sure that the rules are, about it are fair and so it is frustrating i know we all want baseball well and by we all i mean millions of baseball fans and the 1200 members of the major league baseball players association the owners don't really care that much they've made that 100 percent clear because they are the ones who have set these deadlines they're the ones who have made these threats they're the ones who didn't schedule any meetings for the se- first several months of this lockout i think it was what, what was it 42 days it's a baseball number for you in all the wrong ways they're the ones who have forced this situation and they did all of this and now that it's gone through it's so apparent that they thought that they could win the PR war in these last couple of days they thought they could turn it on the players by creating this deadline and I fear far too many journalists and fans fell for this notion that there was some kind of deadline that like both parties had a willingness to to have to come to the table. of Like, I want, I want someone to make a, like a political cartoon, right? Where the person who symbolizes the players is like tied up over a shark tank with like lasers and and stuff in it. Right. And they're slowly getting lowered by the owner. Who's, you know, pushing a lever and slowly lowering them. And then there's this group of people on the side saying, man, I just don't understand why these two can't get together and compromise. Right. That's what's going on here. So, the the players have made several moves and the owners have tried to in the last couple of days and that's what you know if you saw some of the reporting and i feel really bad for anybody including my poor dear mother and frankly myself damn it who stayed up last night refreshing twitter till one o'clock in the morning thinking man if they're in the media there's like sixth meeting today Some reputable and some less reputable uh, reporters tweeting out there's optimism, there's movement, there's a possibility that something's going to happen here. And I think a lot of people really wanted to believe it, myself included, that, that maybe we could even come out of this with something better, ultimately. And then you see how far apart they really still are. When we finally get the details this afternoon on Tuesday... And it's clear to me that the owners were trying to win a PR war here in the last couple of days to try to convince people that they made reasonable moves, that it's the players who failed to meet a deadline, right? Because that's very boss to employer, right? Employee uh, to employer thing where you're going, uh, oh, you've, you failed to meet the deadline, they're saying to the players. And I'm so happy because when I saw that final offer, there was about 15 minutes there where I, I sat there thinking the players might take this. And I feel like players unions of the, of years past would have taken it, would have caved, would have considered just getting the bonus pool at all. Even if it's barely existent and kind of a joke, they'd have been like, let's take it. Let's take that. Let's take the expanded postseason, the DH, you know, our moderate pay increase, um, I don't know how you get around the total loss on the luxury tax. That's the one thing. When the other party, when you've moved on everything, look, this is a negotiation. This is business. This is how this works. This is politics and business and sports all in one thing together, right? And when you draw a line in the sand, and and these are things that have been negotiated before. It's not like the luxury tax has always been this way and must be this way and had been handed down from on high. Like, no. The luxury tax needs to go up if you're going to add postseason spots. It's just as simple as that. And that the owners have made that non-negotiable means that the players have to walk away from the table. They have to. And I know it sucks for fans. I really do. sucks for me too. I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I should be covering spring training games right now. Trust me. I'd much, much rather be doing that than this. But the players are absolutely in the players association i think is absolutely in the right here to say no you you've got to negotiate and to actually even try to turn what i again believe is is a pr ploy back on the owners because i think and i wrote about this today again go and check it out on milehighsports.com i think the average baseball fan has gotten a lot savvier i see people on twitter talking about it and saying no this just isn't fair and as much as we want baseball back, you know we're with the players on this. And that's good because they need everybody's support. It's the only way that it's going to get done because you've got to turn the pressure back around on the owners and say, no, we will hold you responsible. We know who's canceling games. It's not the players. We know who's setting these arbitrary deadlines. There is absolutely no rule. There's no United States law that says that they can't come up with a good CBA and even if the players do still compromise more even if they can only get 50 or 60 million out of the bonus pool and and even if they can only get the slightest of increases on the luxury tax 5 or 8 million dollars or something on those they need to get something they need to make it absolutely clear to the owners not just for this collective bargaining cycle but for those in the future that the owners can't just use their essentially legalized monopoly over the fact that they own a league and there's really nowhere else for these players to go to push them around because that's what they're doing that's what the threat of canceling games and remember this is a lockout not a strike and look at the these deadlines and then them extending the deadline that in and of itself shows you, that proves to you exactly how arbitrary it is and that it's something they're creating out of thin air. It's something they're doing to try to win. And and again, I'm sad for the number of people that fell for it to try to come back and be like, oh, there was all this optimism last night. And then the players just said no. Like, that's technically kind of what happened, except there was never really that optimism last night. The two parts were way way far apart and the owners were just optimistic that the players were going to cave to their demands at the eleventh hour because they didn't want to be held responsible for canceling games, which may have come close to happening, but hearing that it was unanimous and that it happened so fast, I'm so glad to hear that the players are together on this. They seem steadfast. And like I said, a lot more fans seem to be with them. And so for me, like it's it's weird to sit here and say, like, I think this is a good thing because this is a dark moment and it's a dark day in baseball history to be sure. But, you know, it's the players are fighting for a better game, for a fairer game, for a game that's better for all of the fans that treats all of its players and not just the guys at the very, very top, the best. And, you know, that's why I think that's one of the talking points that frustrates me the most throughout this entire conversation when someone wants to point to how much money Max Scherzer is making. And that's why I was so happy to hear today that Max Scherzer has been one of the best player advocates in that room, because one, I wouldn't want to sit on the other side of the table from an intense and passionate Max Scherzer, who's a smart guy who knows what he's talking about and and can really you know, get into the details on some of these things but that talking point really really bothers me because one it's a small handful of players it really is it's like 20 to maybe 30 guys who are making the big bucks that you think of and when you're and if you're really thinking of like over 30 million you know the superstar players what is there like 7 8 of those guys you know Mike Trout Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper Max Scherzer you know, these are the guys. And have those guys not are those guys not incredible ball players? Are they not the pillars of the game? Also? You know, there, there's a question to be asked. But beyond that, I'm so happy to hear that a guy like Max Scherzer is in there making the case for these other guys, for the guys that aren't making that kind of money, for the guys on league minimum, for the guys in the minor leagues who didn't get a signing bonus, who don't have all that kind of money, who are literally living paycheck to paycheck for their love of the game, hoping that one day they'll get their shot. And everybody has been a part of this conversation. You know, the players aren't going to get – I saw this this tweet from Dan Zamborski. And it's funny because I, I think I mentioned this a lot, but Dan and I have disagreed on a lot of Rocky's things over the years. And, uh, you know, whatever. This, this is one of those things where none of that matters, right? We're all in this together uh, because we're not just arguing about how teams ought to be built and who's a good player and who's the MVP and which stat is a good stat or any of these things. Like this is, this is a real conversation. This is real stuff. And I want to see if I can find this tweet from Dan. Uh, where he was talking about uh, essentially, here it is, here it is. The MLBPA's offer isn't fair. As in, it's not even a fair offer to themselves. The MLBPA's offer is simply less grossly pro owner than the MLB's offer. And I think that this must be distinctly understood. Because to say the player's Like said no, or they're the ones who turned it down, they're the ones who didn't agree to what was offered, is to understand that the players have already, and I 100% agree with Dan in this instance, they have come down very, very hard to a position that's like, man, the owners are really making out like bandits here, the players are just going to do slightly better than they might have otherwise if they hadn't stuck their heals in a, a little bit and the owners are still pushing, man. So, yeah, again, like I said, I know it's brutal. I, I know it's a rough day for baseball fans, but in a weird way, this is such a weird word to use because it can sound so condescending, even though it's always meant as a compliment, but it, so whatever. I don't know that I get to feel this, but I am proud of the players for You know, on behalf of, frankly, on behalf of just workers everywhere, on people who don't want to have to just do whatever their boss says just because they say so. Um, The players have more than earned their fair share of the pie that is created by us, the fans. And I, I really appreciate that they're telling the owners no. As I wrote today, if the players don't stand up to the owners, who will?